Hello, and welcome back to the 46 Brooklyn podcast. I'm your host, Ben Link, the president of 46 Brooklyn Research, but I'm also a pharmacist fed up with fake, artificially inflated drug prices. Today's episode is the fifth one in our ongoing Drug Pricing 101 series. As a reminder, the goal of our Drug Pricing 101 series is to introduce the core concepts of the U.S. drug supply chain to hopefully foster a better understanding of the data available at 46brooklyn.com. As with any educational endeavor, I've attempted to present the information in a logical manner to hopefully ease understanding. However, I want to recognize and acknowledge that everyone learns differently. To that end, if you have questions or comments regarding these materials, please reach out to us on our website. Your comments and questions will only make our content better. In our last episode, we discussed wholesaler set drug prices derived from actual wholesaler invoices to their pharmacy customers. So essentially what pharmacies pay to acquire the medications they dispense to their patients what you might call their cost of goods sold. The most common benchmark to track those wholesaler invoices today is National Average Drug Acquisition Cost, or NADAC. While NADAC provides tremendous insights on the prices of medications, it's not without its limitation. It relies upon voluntarily submitted invoice costs from pharmacies and it does not have a good way of tracking off-invoice discounts pharmacies likely receive. With that in mind, we also recognize that some states have their own approach to getting actual acquisition costs, or what's known as AAC. They conduct their sometimes mandatory surveys to get their AAC price in their states. In either case, these prices represent some of the most real prices we've thus discussed on this podcast series, as they have a basis in facts that cannot be readily or easily disputed, i.e. what the invoice actually says the pharmacy paid. Thus far, the episodes of the Drug Pricing 101 series have discussed manufacturer set prices of ASP, AMP, WAC, AWP, and direct price, as well as wholesaler-derived prices of NADAC and AAC. Even though there are many more ways to quantify a drug's price, for sanity's sake, in this series, we set out to cover what effectively nine prices we felt were most relevant from a general public perspective. Of the nine pricing benchmarks we originally set out to discuss, we have only two left, which brings us to the price point to be discussed today. We're going to move on from prices set by wholesalers within the direct drug supply chain and move to the final direct participant, the pharmacy. Recall that a pharmacy generally has a contract with a single wholesaler, known as the primary wholesaler, to purchase drugs. As part of this contracting, pharmacies are able to obtain discounts as well as rebates on their drug purchases, such as for volume guarantees or by simply paying their wholesaler bills in a timely manner, they get a discount on their price. 
It's also more convenient for a pharmacy to contract with a wholesaler to buy the variety of goods they need in one place rather than having to shop with each drug manufacturer directly. We made an analogy to us buying our food at a grocery store rather than having to go to Kraft to buy our cheese or someplace else to buy our bread. Pharmacies are, of course, buying products with the goal of selling those products to consumers or patients. Consumers who, generally speaking, have some form of insurance. This is a little different from other forms of consumerisms, as the customer is generally not the individual and some other group like insurance. Said differently, most of us likely don't have an insurance plan to help us purchase our groceries. To add some data here, GoodRx conducted a survey in February of 2021 to assess the degree to which people in the U.S. have prescription drug insurance and what the source of that insurance was should it exist. According to their survey, 13% of Americans in 2021 lacked prescription drug insurance, a relatively small number in relation to the rest of the market, i.e. that 87% that would have prescription drug insurance. Of that larger market, 46% of people were getting their insurance through their employer. 12% were getting it through Medicare, 11% through Medicaid, and 6% acquired their drug coverage through the health insurance marketplace, what's also known as the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. In other words, they were buying their plan directly. The final group, 12%, identified some other form of drug insurance coverage. GoodRx's survey also identified that three quarters of the people surveyed took at least one prescription medication, and most of them were relying upon that insurance of theirs to help cover the cost. I share the results of this survey because it helps reaffirm some of the points we've already made in prior episodes of this podcast. Namely, a lot of people are taking medications And a lot of medications are being paid for in some way, shape, or form with, quote-unquote, other people's money. Whether that is an employer helping to cover the cost of the drug or federal programs like Medicare or Medicaid, somebody else is helping cover the cost. This in turn means that from a pharmacy's perspective, their customers are overwhelmingly individual people for sure, but also people's insurance who are paying for the drug alongside that individual consumer. So how does a pharmacy sell medications into this system? Well, in essence, there are two forms of customers, those without insurance and those with insurance. For those without insurance, they buy whatever medications they can on a cash basis. By cash basis, I mean whatever the pharmacy charges for the drug. This price point is known as the pharmacy's usual and customary, or UNC. Note that this represents a new drug pricing point for drugs in our U.S. healthcare system. For that patient at that pharmacy, that UNC cost is a real price and a price point that may be highly variable pharmacy to pharmacy or even day to day. And while I want to spend the majority of our time today discussing the UNC price point, we need to quickly finish up the conversation around the pharmacy's other customers, patients with insurance. For these patients, 
The pharmacy's contract with their insurance company's pharmacy benefit manager, or PBM, will determine what the cost is to the patient and the amount the insurance company, or PBM, pays for the drug. And while it may sound simple on its surface, there are some important details to review, hopefully without getting too technical, because it's never as simple as it seems on its surface, especially as it relates to drug pricing. Recall from what we just reviewed that most people have drug insurance as a benefit, meaning that the majority of pharmacy's customers are people with insurance. In order for anyone to get use out of that insurance benefit, they must be able to use their insurance at a pharmacy. This in turn means that insurers must negotiate with pharmacies to take their insurance. In order to do so, they negotiate a contract through the insurance company's PBM with a payment rate, often called the network rate. Within that network rate is generally a provision that says something along the lines of the pharmacy agrees to be paid whatever the insurer is willing to pay, the network rate, or what the pharmacy bills, whichever is less. The price the pharmacy bills is the price point we're interested in talking about today because it's the pharmacy's usual and customary, or UNC, price point we've already identified. Again, UNC represents one of the most direct ways pharmacy contributes to a drug's pricing structure. And again, it's semi-apart from what the manufacturer or wholesaler price represent. At the very least, there is nothing stopping them, the pharmacy, from making their UNC much higher than any of the prices set by the system before them. As a brief aside, it should be noted that prescription drug insurance did not always work the way it does today. Meaning today, through the power of the internet, we can bill pharmacy claims in real times and with the assistance of technology. When prescription drug insurance was first a thing, those solutions didn't exist. Rather, a patient with insurance would submit their receipt from the pharmacy to their insurer and get a check cut back to them for whatever they paid at the pharmacy counter. In other words, the pharmacy's UMC price point used to be effectively the only price that mattered. As systems evolved, that changed. By contracting with pharmacies to form a network, an agreement could be reached in regard to what discount the health plan might be able to secure based upon the volume of customers they could bring to a pharmacy. And that, I would argue, is the origin for the comparison between a pharmacy's UNC price and that offered payment rate of the person's insurer. Anyways, with that aside out of the way, let's return to UNC. It's important to note that unlike ASP, AMP, WAC, or any of the other prices we've identified, that have some definition in federal rules, there is no uniform definition of what UNC is. Instead, third-party payer contracts, state Medicaid statutes, those help inform what UNC is, which is usually the lowest net price a cash patient would have paid at the pharmacy on the day that a prescription was dispensed, inclusive of all applicable discounts. This definition may be a little odd when you consider other pricing benchmarks like the pharmacy's submitted ingredient cost or gross amount due, 
But those price points are conversations for another day. To be clear, this general definition that I'm relying upon for UNC may not be precisely true depending upon which state you're in and which program you're talking about. Additionally, there have been several lawsuits around UNC where whistleblowers have alleged pharmacies have violated the practices of setting UNC appropriately, resulting in people paying more than they should. I mention these legal cases as they can add some legal precedent to the definition of UNC, which again may vary depending upon where you find yourself. That is to say, which program for drug insurance we're talking about. Suffice it to say, this UNC price the pharmacy is setting is arguably another fake price akin to a drug maker's AWP, muddying the waters of drug pricing in this country. I make the comparison to AWP for two reasons. The first, a pharmacy's UNC is a pricing component that matters within a contract, which ultimately determines what prescription drugs cost, just like a drug maker's AWP. And two, UNC has no regulatory definition and therefore is subject to the same kind of games just like AWP. However, and this is an important distinction, the role of UNC is small in the aggregate because the majority of claims are not paying out at a pharmacy's UNC cost. I am unable to find a public data source to cite to demonstrate this to you, but I can tell you that in my professional career in reviewing pharmacy transactions from both the pharmacy's or health plan's perspective, Generally speaking, less than 10% of claims are paying at UNC, an overwhelmingly small amount. Rather, the majority of payments are predicated off the terms of the network contract. So why spend all this time talking about UNC? Well, it wouldn't be the first time on this podcast that we spent a long time talking about a price point with perhaps little impact, but that's not the case here. Rather, because we now understand UNC's role within the contract, we can actually apply what we've learned thus far about drug pricing to review what would happen within the system if pharmacies were to lower their UNC costs. A question I've gotten many times in my career is, why are pharmacies UNC's costs so high? And the answer is simple. It's a matter of incentives within our drug supply chain. As we just reviewed, a pharmacy's reimbursement from a PBM or insurer is predicated off the lesser of what the pharmacy's contract with the PBM says will be paid or what the pharmacy charges as their UNC or cash price. As a business, a pharmacy would likely want to secure the maximum profits available from their largest customer base, people with insurance. Therefore, it follows that, as a business, a pharmacy wants to set high UNC rates to ensure that it's getting paid whatever the network rate is. Therefore, it follows that, as a business, a pharmacy wants to set high UNC rates to ensure that it's getting paid whatever the network rate is and not undercutting itself by failing to take money it might otherwise make if it had set higher UNC prices. 
pharmacies must balance this against the 13% or so of individuals who will be buying drugs at their cash prices because those people don't have insurance. However, pharmacies, generally speaking, don't know, despite having a contract, what any individual claim for any individual's insurance will pay. As a result, they are largely in the dark on what incentives the system is sending them in seeking out maximum profits. We can actually see this in claims data. Work by myself and the team at 3Axis Advisors investigated this issue directly within the Massachusetts Medicaid program. Within that analysis, all prescription claims within the Massachusetts Medicaid program at pharmacies that were generic in an oral solid dosage form and had a NADAC were analyzed from 2016 to 2019. Each payment made on those claims was compared to the NADAC cost value to derive a margin over NADAC for the claim. So essentially, what margin did pharmacies capture over a generalized average pharmacy acquisition cost? NADAC was selected because, as we discussed last time, it would represent within a reasonable degree of certainty what those pharmacies actually paid on their invoices to buy their drugs. This analysis identified that the range of margin available to a pharmacy on these Massachusetts Medicaid claims was $735 below the NADAC acquisition cost, meaning the pharmacy lost nearly $1,000 dispensing that claim, to $4,800-ish above the NADAC cost, meaning that fulfilling one claim at one pharmacy on one day, they made enough money to likely pay the payroll for that pharmacy for the entire week. If a pharmacy sees within its data that it can lose $1,000 on a claim or make thousands of dollars on other claims without any real way of identifying which is which, the only incentive they effectively have is to set high drug prices through setting high UNCs. This is the incentive because if you read on in that previously mentioned Massachusetts report, if any pharmacy were to hypothetically re-adjudicate those claims in a cost-plus basis, meaning their pharmacy would have set their UNC at the cost they purchased plus a flat $10 dispensing fee, which is generally speaking the actual cost to pay all the components of operating a pharmacy, the Massachusetts pharmacies in that study would lose approximately 75% of their margin on those claims. A loss they would not enable them to sustain business operations. And that's the rub, right? Because we don't know or can't agree on what drugs cost in this system, we're effectively left running in circles. A pharmacy motivated to try and save the system money is effectively locked out of doing so by the current incentives within the system. Because under their contracting, they'll lose a ton of money if they do so. Recall that the pharmacy's primary customer is people with insurance, meaning that they cannot turn a blind eye to the incentives the insurer and their contract with the insurer sets. Said differently, we know 
i.e. we've just reviewed some of the data ourselves on this podcast, that there are some claims out there that, for whatever reason, the network reimbursement rate is set to be really, really high. And there are other claims out there that, for whatever reason, the network reimbursement rate is really, really low. And a pharmacy cannot really know which claim will reimburse well and which will reimburse low because it's not just a factor of the drug, but also the variety of the types of insurance that their customers have. And so it can really only set high UNC prices because as the three axis study demonstrated, to do otherwise would be the death of their business. This is arguably why you've seen the recent growth of cash-only pharmacies. Because this allows those pharmacies to go back in time to a point where only their UNC price mattered in setting prices for a drug. Of course, that leaves us trusting the altruism of those businesses in setting fair drug prices. And as a pharmacist myself, I probably better acknowledge that while we are consistently rated one of the most trustworthy professions, even that is a system that I'm not overly comfortable with because we still may not know what the real cost of a drug is. And without knowing the cost, we will never understand or appreciate its value. Because as my friend Antonio Chacha likes to say, when there are nine prices for a thing, there's actually no price for that thing. In our next episode, we will move away from a discussion on direct drug supply chain participants and begin talking about the indirect drug supply chain, starting with companies helping facilitate pharmacy claim transactions, namely PBMs. As before, I want to thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Continue to encourage you to send any feedback you have on these episodes to us at 46 Brooklyn and hope I'll see you here for our next episode. The 46 Brooklyn podcast would like to thank McGowan Braybender for the use of their facilities in recording our podcast. We'd also like to thank Ben at Journeyman Productions for assistance with our music and sound. As a reminder to our listeners, if you're curious about any of the materials discussed on today's episode, additional information can always be found on 46brooklyn.com.